You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. Welcome back to another episode of Up to the Mic. If you are loving the show, please do us a favor by subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform and leaving us a quick rating and review. It goes a long way in helping us produce more great episodes like this one. My next guest is the Director of Talent Management for Back Porch Management. He's based out of Austin, Texas, and spends the majority of his time traveling the country representing country music artists at their sold-out shows. He's a former student of Texas A&M University and developed his foundational network in the music industry through his Aggieland, Texas country roots. Please welcome my next guest, Jared McManus. Jared, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, we got the music play. We got we got some things going on. Yeah, no. Hey, glad to be here. Um, excited to be here. That's a pretty uh, cool little. What do you call? We call that a boiler in my profession, okay. right? So, uh, uh, yeah, it's just a little snippet, and and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that, that that about covers it. Of course. Well, hopefully, we can talk about everything else that you're doing in addition to this. But as for now, I can tell that. That hopefully gave the listeners a little bit of what we're going to get into today. Talk about all the music biz industry and everything that you're up to these days. Um, but before we jump into it, as I like to start up every episode out with, is give the listeners a little bit of insight into how you got to where you are. So maybe let's start out and just tell me about your background, where you're from, what you'd like to do growing up, and kind of why you decided to go to A&M. So just jump in with you know where we started. Uh, I'm from a little town um, outside of Dallas, uh, east of Dallas, called Bynum. Its population is about, well, is, or at least is hanging on my wall, 199 um, whenever I was there. Um, so a very small community. We actually had, you know, K through, or pre-K through 12 in one school. Um, and that was different. Um, that I didn't know really at the time, right? Um, it was just being in a small town, you kind of just are, you see what they want you to see, um, your parents and their family and all those things. And I, I feel like I really started in a small community. And, you know, our class was very small. And a lot of the kids that uh, I started school with, pre K, kindergarten, and those things, whenever I, I had left for an extended period of time, went to another school, um, Hillsboro, for a while. And whenever I came back, those same kids were still in the class. Um, and, you know, we're, it was one of those things where, like, you don't just, like, go to a different class. Like, you, go to, you obviously go to history, you go to English, you go to math. But K through – or not K through 12, but, like, 9 through 12, it's the same teacher. Um, and so, like, we would just pick up our books and, like, all walk to class together. Um, so it was uh, it's like a game of musical chairs in the small town. But, you know, being in a small town, you have a lot of benefits. And for me, being in the country and being with wildlife and different things of that nature really calmed me down. Um, they keep me balanced in a world that is definitely not. Uh, and it's 
kind of gives it whenever i was young it gave me things to do you know i lived on a ranch um it was about 500 acres 300 acres somewhere in there and you know we raised white-tailed deer and that was our primary thing we had elk and black buck and fallow and assortment of other animals buffalo whatever it was and uh that kind of taught me a whole different thing right so we are living in this small town we have this ranch that we take care of and at the same time my dad's working in dallas right so i've always kind of had these uh, degrees of accessibility to different places and just knowing that like you can commute and go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do um and being starting out i mean everything whenever i was little all i did I took the BB gun, I took a pack lunch, and I went and hunted. And whether that was rabbits or birds and all those things, you know, not so good for those guys. Um, but uh, it was definitely something that taught me a lot, um, you know, in safety. You know, something with about guns that people don't talk about is the process and the methods and all the safety and instructional things that go into hunting and even guns specifically. But hunting in general, like just teaches you a process of like, you're not going to kill a huge deer, the real white. I mean, you can go pay to go kill one and you can go hunt them on your high fences ranch with your buddies. But like, if you want to actually kill a deer, you have to track that deer. You have to stalk that deer. You have to set up a feeder. You are, or maybe not. You set up on a trail that that deer is on, right? You have to set up cameras. I mean, you have to read the wind. There's just so many different intangible parts of hunting that teach you things that you can use in the real world. And I love what you were saying there. Uh, I read a book one time and it was about running and they talk about this tribe in like Southern Mexico, like deep South Mexico somewhere. And they were called the Tetumahara. And essentially they are like the original deer hunters and they would do it in the most amazing way. Now this is, could be tall tale. Allegedly people travel down there every year to meet with them and try and learn from them. I don't know they're one of the last standing tribes in Mexico, but the point is they would run and just chase after the deer for so long that eventually the deer would drop dead. Like they had so much stamina. They're known for being like the world's best distance runners. Cause all they would do is just chase the deer and they'd stay within like a hundred yards of it. Just like keeping pace and tracking the deer. And then eventually they, the deer would just fall over and die. Cause it couldn't keep running from it anymore. They'd run after this thing for hours and just exhaust the deer and then it'd collapse. They'd kill it and they'd have their deer, but pretty wild story. Um, but no, I agree. I share your sentiment from growing up in a small town. I think that you said it perfectly when you said it provides some balance being in like such a crazy and high paced world because you live in Austin, you live in Dallas, you live in these cities that we do. And just last week got to go home and like visit my hometown, which wasn't as small as 199, but definitely, I mean, I went to, I grew up in a school that was pre-K through eighth grade and did the whole kind of same, same ideal and uh, just going back to that level of living, that pace of living is balancing. And you said it was like a balance. It was a good balance for you. And I like wholeheartedly agree with that. But well, it, and the balance and then a little bit of like check, right? Like the families I see, we talk about like families on here, like coming from a small town, like your family is like everybody in your grade and in the other grades, like those moms, like if you were friends with one of your, you know, one of your buddy's friends, like that mom was kind of like looked over you and like her, her dad, their dad would like take you hunting. And like, we all did things together all the time. And we were very interactive. 
And at the same time, we all knew everything about everybody and it was very close. And I feel like even that was like a practice for real life today because now everybody wants to be in your business, right? It was like a mini experiment of like social media. Everybody wants to know everything. Well, my whole life I've been letting everybody know everything. So it doesn't really matter, right? Nothing to hide. And that's one of the things I like most about you. Um, Jared and I met a few years ago when I was in College Station and he was still working in College Station at the time, which we can dive into a little bit. But what was, I guess, when you went to A&M, I know you didn't necessarily study what you ended up doing full time. Uh, I think you were in ag, ag leadership, ag business or something along those lines. Well, that's where you started out. Did you did you have something in mind and then you changed paths or did yeah, you just actually- pick it up? It's actually crazy. So I had a good friend. His name is Addison Simak. Shout out. And, uh, you know, he early on in high school, like we were always been friends since we were little. But uh, in high school, he he really like pushed me like he was always grinding. Like he was like straight A student, like athlete of the year, like fucking total popular dude. And like I fuck it was not. But like Addison was my friend and like people would, you know, fuck with Addison and I would, you know, make sure that they didn't. And that was just kind of like we were boys, bro. And like, I mean, he was the one that convinced me. He was like, I was always like, I'm too dumb to go to AM. Like, there's no way I'm getting in. Coming from a small town, like, that's what they tell you. I was actually the only person in my hometown, like, or in my grade at graduation that didn't receive a scholarship. I don't know why. But I, Addison convinced me to get into to blend right and and that was my my step right i i, I went to blend or i, I it's the day that i graduated right we had a like a mini party and then the ne- well no it was that night we had like a mini party during the day and then that night we threw a rager well then the day after we cleaned up and i was packed up ready and i headed to college station the day after i graduated ready to go and once i got to college station man i fell in to it with the right people and that's what i will say about college station is there may you can have your differences of opinion about college but when you talk about people and you talk about your where your kids want to be and be around other people that are good people like that's that was a&m for me um i fell in with a good crowd and i got lucky uh and from there i got into a&m and studied ag leadership um that was actually you know, one of those things where it's like I needed to get into A&M. I wanted to be there, get into the curriculum. And I, I entered into the major and turned out to love it. Um, it was just from my very first intro class. It was just one of those things where I connected with the teacher. And things that I studied then, I'm still studying today. It, there's no difference. Like the books that I was reading and things in literature and things that they were pu- pushing us to do is things that naturally people probably should do today. And man, I th- that's not even the most like, that's not even the coolest part of it. From that intro class, I forget her name, but she was such a sweet old lady. And man, she told me, she was just like, you can be a business minor, you can do all these different things. She's like, but I would minor in creati- creativity. And I'm like, all right. That, that sounded good. She had this whole sell and everything about, you know, how the world's going one way and how creative people are going to be rewarded down the road. And it made sense to me. And so for me, I just lunged into that and minored in creativity. And that was actually a really cool experience, cool curriculum, cool teachers, 
cool tests, like whatever. I mean, I, anybody at A&M, if you're there, go take some creativity classes is some cool stuff that you'll use every single day, at least for what I do. And I couldn't see how you couldn't use them in any job that you do um, in some way. And then, yeah, I, working, I mean, the problem with the problem with the whole college thing was I walk, you know, I walked into a place called the Tap, and I mean, you've been there, right? Only a few times. <laughs> we've, uh, you've, I guess we've helped each other out on quite a few occasions at the Tap. We've had some good times there. That was fun. Man, the the Tap in col- is a college station staple. If you haven't went, you should go check it out. Um, and if you have checked it out, continue to go support that place. Uh, there's nothing like small businesses and that business has been running for 40 years. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a great place. And, uh, man, I go, being in college and, and starting their, uh, sophomore year, you know, work, working the door, right. Um, checking IDs, being that guy, uh, and then working my way up. And eventually we had a manager, man, like he just literally up and quit. And he still manages bars around College Station. I'm not going to say his name because this isn't the light that we should introduce him in because he's a badass. But we went to, uh, you know, he hired me on the first day while I was while I was there. But he just up and quit one day and, you know, kind of left the owner in a bond. And one way or another, I found found my way to talk and found my courage to talk to John and ask him like, Hey man, like, can I manage this place? And to my like surprise, he was like, absolutely. Let's, let's work something out. And, uh, we started doing, you know, kind of like an assistant, like part-time thing. And then, you know, that rolled into me taking over pretty much majority of the music, all of the events, um, and then just as far as like day-to-day operations goes, being there, you know, helping out running the restaurant or, uh, ch- I mean, we did everything there. You, that was one thing about the tab. You worked at the tab. You weren't above anything. Um, you worked your ass off. And if you, John asked you to do something, you went and did it. Um, and sometimes those things sucked. Um, and in the bar industry, uh, if you want to be successful, cause there's a lot of people out there, especially in college station that, and this is a shout out that think that they know how to run bars and they just don't um running bars you can't just throw money at it you gotta work you gotta grind if something breaks if a pot breaks if the toilets break you fix them yourself you know you want to continue to people wonder why bars like that have been open for 45 years it's because somebody's underneath that place because it's on parent beam shoveling shit you know what i mean that's why and so i for me the tap taught me how not to be above anything. It also taught me how to drink. And man, I did that. And I apologize to John. You know, one of those things is he, he really did him and Nathan, man, they, they really supported me and like my, not just like helping the bar and like managing the bar, but also like my side thing with music and things that I got into later on. Those guys really just kind of let me do what I needed to do. And it kind of overlapped for a long time where we were all, you know, helping what I was doing with music was helping the bar. And so it was very, very advantageous for all of us. Um, getting back on track though, uh, Nathan and John have been running it, I guess been running the bar for, you know, Nathan's been there for a little over 13 years. Um, I was there for six years. 
you know, John's been there obviously forever and, uh, getting off track with where I was going with that, but no, you're good. You were just telling the whole story of how you eventually came into management at the tap, which I think is awesome. And then you really got into also the events. I know the events of like the groups and the organizations that would come and plan things, but specifically like the concerts. And so tell me about like when you got into music at the tap and how that all started. Like, I know you worked with a few artists while you were there at the tab, but what was the initial like spark that was like, okay, like not only can I book these guys here at the tap, but I want to make this like a side hustle. I want to start kind of like managing the artist as well as just managing the bar and the tap. So it started out like anything, like a party, right? Um, all the guys were not all the guys. We, I had start, I was in a fraternity A&M and we had a fraternity brother that sang. And so that's kind of how we started doing shows at the tap. Right. And we're like, yeah, like y'all come up and we were packing this place out. And I was, just, and that kind of like clicked in my head. I could do events with like anybody and anybody that musically that my friends fuck with, I could probably bring them in and they would come. And so we kept going. And, uh, I met a guy named Chris Fox. He ran Texas music pickers. He, you know, he got his PhD. I'm not sure where, but he went to Huntsville. What is that? What's the same Houston? Same Houston. Um, and, and then he got his PhD somewhere else, but very smart guy. Um, he was a teacher for a while and then, uh, got into, uh, Texas music pickers and started running like a publication promoting music. And so he started doing shows at the tap as well. And we started kind of collabing on like who was popular. Well, we came across this guy one day and we had a list. I remember we had a list of all the artists in Texas, or at least all the Texas artists that we knew of at the time. And we had them within rate. We had them listed from radius of the tap because we were trying to get everybody to come play their cheap, right? We yeah. couldn't. We couldn't. John wasn't going to give us any budget. Sorry, John. But you know, we so we had to like make do with what we had. So we started like finding these guys, and a guy that popped up was Co Wetzel, uh, Stephenville, Texas, and not too far from College Station. And we looked up, uh, you know, some of the some of his music and things like that there wasn't anything really going on but he had emailed fox or dre andy waskers emailed fox noise complaint and it was before it was released and so we i mean we didn't know and so we were just listening to it at the tap and man i don't know what it was but we were just like we got to book this guy and we booked him and man from there those guys became pretty good friends later later on down the, the road right we all kind of supported each other. But in that moment, I didn't realize like, oh, this is kind of where we were starting this. And we kept going and we had Parker, Flatland, Shotgun Rider. I mean, there's a handful of it. Tanner Usray, uh, Carson Jeffrey, you know, now Cameron Saki. There's younger bands now that it's out of the gate. But, you know, we had Colby over the, you know, Colby started at the tap. And that was kind of the transition, right? Where I saw these bands that were starting in these places and they were having some success or at least they were building crowds. And I started kind of digging into how they were doing that. And once I figured that out, I started looking for artists and stumbled upon a gym called Colby Cooper and just listened to an EP that he had out or maybe even a single. And man i just remember being hooked instantly and knew that the music was good and knew that in the system that my friends were having success in that this guy was going to have success if we did it the right way yep. and so we started doing it the right way and it started working really quick and 
a lot quicker than anybody really expected it to for a 21 well at the time 18 year old kid um from palestine texas montalba and uh man we had a lot of success and you know i worked with colby for four and a half years five years and uh you know it was we we knocked it out i mean he's obviously a household name in texas country um at the moment you know working on that national spotlight you know we also at the same time before there so i managed artists on my own for uh, a while after I left the tap. Um, and then circumstances permitted during Corona where I just didn't know what the hell I was doing and had to move um, to a company. And so I, at that time I was managing Colby and Pecos and, and Colby's little brother, uh, Chase, um, I believe he's like 20 or 21 now. Um, he was helping me with the Pegas stuff and with Colby and he was Colby's tour manager. And so we were kind of just like running and gunning like young people, like not knowing what the hell we were doing. But it was working, dude. Like people messed with it. Like they really, really gravitated toward what we were doing. And the Pegas guys, man, like I'll say this, Colby and them, like we grinded, but the Pegas and them, those guys, like, and Co and them were like the bad boy, like reputation kind of like they showed you that path and early on like co and them weren't as like aggressive as they you know are appear now and you know i take us though no like from the day one don't fuck with that guy i knew that from day (laughs) one dude i just met him don't fuck with him and 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 i was and i've always been that guy like I just know. I know who to mess with, who not to mess with. And Pegas was one of those dudes not to mess with. So I always handled that situation very carefully um, and navigating it because he was an important artist, right? And yeah. he, you know, he's got a, we've had a platinum single off his record. And I mean, he is, you know, he is a star. And that band that he has, come to find out, when I met that, you know, I met them in Lubbock. I went and stayed with them for a week before I started managing them. And I slept on their couch maybe four days. It couldn't make it the whole week. You know, I, I walked into the their house, man, and, like, it was a college house. Like, everybody, you know, like, everybody just chilling. And I opened the I opened the fridge, bro. I shit you not. Some people talk about it. And some people write songs about it that aren't real. But there was nothing but pizza and beer in this thing. Pizza <laughs> and beer. And not good beer and not good pizza. Pizza and beer. And then I opened the freezer, like, thinking, like, they're going to have shit in the freezer ice there was just a bag of ice and man these guys just they live differently and they all lived together and they fucking worked their asses off and man those guys inspired me to like you don't like you think you got it figured out until you meet people like that and then you don't because you think you're working hard and you think you got it all figured out and then you meet some guys that want it that really want it and you're like, all right, let's do this. And, and man, once we met Pegas, it really just turned up the gas for all of us. And, you know, we, we went to Floating Leaf and um, had some success there. You know, we, uh, we did, uh, we did a vi- music video with Alexis Texas. Uh, yeah, I remember when that came out. <laughs> Dude, one of my buddies, man, like, he had mentioned to me that he knew Alexis Texas. And so, like, I always kind of just kept that in my back pocket. And, man, Pegas was like, we need to get a porn star for the video. And I was like, <laughs> I got you. I know one. I, I know, dude, I actually do. And they were like, no, nah, bro, no, nah, bro. I'm like, dude, I do. And man, I, I don't think we thought she was going to show up until she showed up. 
Um, and she did, man. And it was badass. And we filmed that video and that really, you know, that tripled the streams within two months. You know what I mean? And then we started promoting on TikTok. Like I it was just like bam. And and it was really all organic, man, from like us just caring. And I it that that whole scenario, that whole process, that whole like getting into the music industry really just taught you that the music industry is not for everyone. And man, it's tough because everybody out there is trying to be the best. And, you know, everybody talks about, oh, yeah, everybody's helping each other. And so, and that is true to an extent. Um, but it's, it's very clicky, man. And you, and you got to navigate it very, very carefully. And I've been fortunate enough to be connected with a lot of good friends and a lot of good people that are knowledgeable. I am not a music industry uh, expert. Uh, I, it, if you ask me questions about things, I could probably give you detailed answers, answers that someone would probably be like, yeah, like that guy knows what he's talking about. But if I need to know something, I call an attorney. If I need to just go know something, I call a business manager. If I need to know something, I call the doctor, like whatever it is, I ask because you never know. <laughs> and I, a Mike Stowe quote there. You never know. You never Ever. know. I'm big Mike. I got a Mike tattoo right here. It says ball don't lie. And, uh, you know, that's my, uh, it's a kind of a reference to time there, but yeah, the Mike Stowe stuff. I don't know. That's all I remember from watching my Mike Stowe so, so videos Mike, back Mike in the day. Mike Siander, right? He's kind of rebranded yeah. now. He's actually the third biggest independent artist in the country. Um, he, is fucking killing he's all internal he actually has his own app it's called for the homies where he releases music and puts videos up and talks about content and all these different things like the guy is super super knowledgeable and his team that he's got around him i mean dude i he just had like some problems with some of the people in his team but that ain't gonna stop him like the dude is a wrecking crew uh even in of his own but his, the people that he surrounds himself with too i mean the music is phenomenal and it's all from the heart. And I mean, he, with his, between his podcast, between his merch, between his clothing brand, between his touring, anything of those sorts, like he's someone that I look at every day um, for, for a little bit of guidance for in the, in the music industry. Uh, and man, I, 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 those guys are good. You know, those guys are still rock and rolling at floating leaf proud of those guys. You know, I think, Pegas just hit like two million monthly listeners. I think Colby's like over a million. You know, Co's doing his thing. Like those guys are fucking killing it. And you know, we I left abruptly, and uh, I did that because I have my own path and my own mission and my own things that I want to do. And those guys uh, were benefited from from being around me for a long time, and I was very very fortunate to benefit from being around them and you know, Colby being a dad, like he taught me more about what I'm going to do for my kids than, you know, just about everybody except for my father. And man, I, I, I love him for that. And I, and I know that he loves me for the things that we all did. And so, man, it, it's cool to see them kick it. But now we're flash forwarding, <laughs> dude. And man, I got these guys I got. So I've got Carson Jeffrey, um, he's a cowboy hat act. And then we have Cameron Saki band, um, more of a like reggae contemporary, um, a little bit of like Texas country influence, but 
you know, more on the cusp of like leaning more so LA than Nashville as far as like country goes, but you know, that genre is blending. So it's interesting to see where this is going to go for, for those guys. But Carson, like tonight, we're playing Billy Bob's, uh, hits his first headline show there. Um, you know, I said that, sorry to cut you off. I said that to somebody last night. I was like, oh yeah, like I've got an interview tomorrow. Uh, I was like, it's a guy, he like manages Carson Jeffrey. They're playing it, or I didn't even say Carson's name. I was like, yeah, he's managing a guy that's playing at Billy Bob's tomorrow. And they're like, oh my God, like a guy, you know, is playing at Billy Bob's. I was like, yeah, he's like a big deal. (laughs) He's really got it going on. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Yeah. I I love that. I mean, Carson being an Aggie, right? Like we, we all support that. And man, the guy's. I was actually, I don't know who it was, but there was somebody that I like told like randomly and it was like three or four weeks ago. And she was like, y'all are playing Billy Bob's. Like that's a big, I, that's like a big deal. And for me, oh, yeah. I it just like clicked for like, just bam, I, it hit me. I was like, man, we played Billy Bob's a few times with other artists, but I had never really played Billy Bob's with my artists, with my company. It's just a different feeling. And then I'm sitting, you know, we we're at a show last week and I'm sitting in the, my truck with uh, uh, Carson's guitar player. And he's like, dude, I was thinking about it. We're playing fucking Billy Bob's. Like, Billy Bob's. Texas, the world's largest, world's largest dance hall, right? Like, that is sick. And their parents are going to be there. Like, the families are going to be there, their girlfriends. Like, we're going to have all these fans there. We're going to be selling merch. Like, it's badass. And man, like, where we were a year ago, you know, Carson and I, we started in June 1st last year. Uh, so we're almost up on a year. And in that time, like, we went from, you know, where we were to, to today. And it is, I will say, very small. I don't know if you've ever read, uh, there's a book called, uh, and it's like an easy one that I just don't. I literally saw it on someone's thing. Atomic habits, right? It's yeah. these small incremental changes, man, that that make up and compound into things turning over and being bigger and bigger and bigger. I was also reading this other book called The One Thing, where it talks about these dominoes that are you line these dominoes up, and technically you can knock a domino over with a domino that is fifty percent less of its size. So if we had a domino we could have another domino here twice its size and we could push them over and they would both fall over, right? Makes sense. Well, if you continue to do that, right, it's like by the 17th domino, you're as high as the Eiffel Tower, right? And then by the 54th domino, you're all the way to the moon. But the point of it is, is that you start out with this small domino and you just keep building. And then once you get them all lined up, you knock them over and all these things start happening for you. And I feel like that's what's really started to happen with Carson is that we're building up all these momentum. We're putting places and we're putting people in place, we're putting plans in place, and we're putting really everything that we can think of on the line to build this thing, right? Like we are just churning and burning anything we can do to make it better. We're grabbing those people, connecting with songwriters in Nashville, booking agent, you know, our, our uh, booking agency was a boutique agency out of Nashville um, called Red 11 Music. Um, they had an office here in uh, Austin for a while um, that was acquired by CAA. Um, and then the Red 11 Nashville was requ- was acquired by WME, um, which WME is, you know, one of the largest or is the largest, you know, booking agency, talent agency on the planet. 
Um, and so, you know, that's happened for us. Like, just like these little things, man, like they just start, they just keep happening. And like, you know, we have almost a thousand tickets pre-sold tonight and, you know, we're going to walk up probably in a, a double that. Right. And it's a year ago, we, we were playing at, you know, at Mule Barn and I'm not saying Mule Barn's not great, but Mule Barn's not Billy Bob's. And, you know, we've really, we've really worked hard and Carson's worked hard and his band has worked hard those guys dude like you talk about some ballers some street ballers some dudes that like just came up and fucking hit it those guys bang and it's badass man like they are a country band a real country band not this fake shit that you see everywhere i believe it yeah if you follow carson on social media like he's he's as real as it can get like he will just be straight brutally honest with you He'll pull out a guitar from like years ago and play it like it was brand new, finely tuned. Like, yep. dude, he's a baller. And I mean, I can't speak for his band, but like from what I can see uh, from an outsider perspective, like got it going on, got it going dude, on. He's so like humble too. Like he'll be like this silly, like, you know, cool collective guy. And then like, he'll turn around and be that hard ass dude too. Like he's not afraid to do it all, man. And and that's what I really like about him. He, he stands up for, for what he believes in and stands up for himself and, uh, there's nothing there's nothing better than doing that. And then on the same token or the flip on the same side or the different side of the same token or whatever the hell you want to say, I've got Cameron and the knuckleheads. It you know, I I've been doing a lot of like exercising and a lot of like what do you call it? Like physical health. Yeah. Um, which I feel like transitions into your mental health, but I've been doing that because these guys are they're a little bit younger than the Carson crew, but they are a bunch of knuckleheads. And they are out of control, but that's what you want, right? In the music industry, and that's what a lot of people are scared of to work with. So, like that, that works well for me because I'm not scared to work with anything. And so, we just keep grinding, right? And it just keeps working. But for Cameron specifically, he's going to be in Twisted J tonight in Stephenville, um, and I'm probably going to go out to that show after the. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like 76 miles or something where. I'm I, I think I can make both shows tonight. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna go try to do that. But man, he these kids, dude, I literally so I was at the tap in February of last year. And I'm not saying that I was scoping out talent before I quit my other job. But I was scoping out talent before I quit my other job. <laughs> and and dude, I you quit gotta have and, something to go to. Well, yeah, dude, and like I quit my other job, right? Like I told Jeb before I told the artist that I was quitting, right? So like I wasn't trying to fucking bamboozle anybody i walked in like a man and i fucking took it and like i asked the artist to come with me and they didn't and that's cool because that's why we're doing what we're doing now and you know i guess time will tell um who was right in that instance but i got off track where was i, I you got me on the i was pissed yeah you got me mad there what were we no, my bad. uh you were talking about how we had you'd gone to you just left and you're gonna make both shows tonight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. both shows yeah. tonight. Yeah. So Twist and <laughs> J. So these guys, dude. So they really haven't toured a whole lot, right? Like last year, you know, they played less than 15 shows. And uh, in the month of January, we put together a tour, their first tour, and uh, it was about eight shows, like here in and around the Texas Oklahoma area. And man, we turned over hella tickets. Uh, you know, I believe we sold like total. And eight shows, like around 3,000 tickets, somewhere in there. Like nothing crazy, but very impressive for a first time band, right? Yeah. Like in these venues, like n just doing what they're doing, just 
killing it. And we'll, so we took a couple of months off and now we've circled back and we've got like the school's over tour, which we've got some new music that we were planning to roll out a little bit sooner um, than we were expecting, but we've got them now and uh, you know, our plans to put out the music, but the tour and all those things are kind of based around the music. And so Right now, they're hitting, you know, they did Arkansas, Oklahoma. Uh, they're doing Hurricane Harry's, Twisted J, Cheatham Street. They're going to do Dallas, Hanks and McKinney. Um, they're going to go to Colorado, go to Denver, Greeley. Um, so that that's like a smaller scale, right? They're not, we're not at Billy Bob's, right? But we're touring all over the country and in the United States and building their fan base for the first time and man like i can't tell you how much and how important it is for these bands that you know a lot of these bands build their fans on tiktok right and they build their fans on wherever they go on tour with some big name artists that i, I, can't, right. I can't really say any names right but that's not the way to build it, man. Like these kids, they're going out and like, yeah, like there was a show last week where I think like a hundred people showed up, you know, fucking sucks. Like sucks for a hundred people to be at a show and you're like rocking out with your band. But you know what? The band played badass, and then they met those fans after that. And those fans will be fans forever. Those fans will buy t-shirts. Those fans will buy hats. Those fans will come hang out. Those fans will know the names of Cameron's girlfriend, those names, their wife one day, and his kids. Like those are going to be fans that we are going to carry with us for the rest of our lives. And so that's what we go out and build. You know, a lot of these things you can be manufactured through social media and things that of that nature that you pay for um but you can't pay for this you can't pay for it what do they call it in business right sometimes they call it sweat equity like this yep. is our sweat equity we go out there and we get on the grind and then you know a label is going to be interested you know and then spotify is going to be interested apple music will be interested amazon music will be interested um you just have to get them interested right um and with cameron and carson coming in you know they're young dude they're 24 years old 25 years old like these guys most guys don't come into their prime of their careers until they are 30 years old you know hardy michael hardy perfect example morgan wallen cody johnson like these guys that are household names these guys that are freaking killing it right now like they came into their prime at 30 years old and man that's just and that's the trend for right now right there's guys like chris stapleton that like blow that out of the water right they're all called outliers um it's a good book to read and Not man that well <laughs> yeah but i i was actually brushing up on malcolm gladwell this morning um he he is a very uh intelligent individual um to him his public speaking though it's hard for me to listen um but have you seen him in person right. like have you seen what he looks like he really blew me away when i like read his book because tipping points was a really good one too if you, you haven't read you that blew him you blew him away or he blew you away because he's a small guy no he's very small <laughs> and that, well, i'm saying it blew me away what he looked like and i know i'm a small guy but you know no need to bring it up to the listeners they don't know that <laughs> no i'm saying malcolm gladwell like that dude is like, like no, he is, and he's got the big like Einstein fro, and yeah. yeah, like the dude needs to eat a steak dinner at Perry's or something like that, right? Is there that shout out? There we go. <laughs> uh, that one will be coming soon. That's foreshadowing. Yeah. Um. 
Where were we at with that? We were talking about how you put in some sweat equity. That's how you build y'all's brand. That's how you build those guys. You don't pay for the actual, you know, you don't manufacture anything and y'all are going to make it further and hopefully farther that way. But then you got into talking about how 30 is the new prime and how there's outliers like Chris Stapleton. Um, and then we, and there's young ones, right? like, and there's young kids that are having success and that, and that's good. Um, unfortunately for the young kids, um, it's hard to deal with success early. Um, I saw that early on with, with, with our guys, right? Like there were situations where, uh, we were in things, we, things happened that you didn't want to happen. You know, there's phone calls that got made that you were like, damn, like wake up in the middle of the night and you get hit with that. And it's like, it's heavy, man. Whatever you want to talk about. I mean, I like the way we've been going with this. I was going to transition into talking about how you kind of run your business and how that operates. Mm-hmm. And you kind of went into it for me. One thing I am curious about, like specifically, you can talk about just kind of the general flow of uh, back porch management, right? I don't know if we ever shouted out the name, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's back porch management. So I'm actually in like a conflict and the guys don't know. We're, so we've got like contract, we're like renegotiating contracts and things like that. And so I, I'm actually on pause with back porch management. That's something I started in 2018. Um, and it's something that's very important to me. And it's the, how I've been operating. Um, I've just had some ideas like revelations. It's just like, I've also gotten a little bit more creative uh, in business deals. And so I, right now I'm at a standstill. I, I back porch management right now. And I like, I got, you know, I'll, I'll rep that because the, the back porch management thing came from the tap, right? We, we had songwriters writing on the back porch. Like there was a, some, hit songs with millions of streams wrote back there and uh man i that back porch management was where we all kind of came together and uh now that that old story isn't there you know i kind of want to just change things up and uh move into a different direction i've kind of tossed around some different names and things like that just basically like a rebrand because that's not who i was like back when i started back porch management like i was drinking like like the tap was number one in, we were number one in Jaeger consumption. We were oh number two in Jaeger sales, right? Because I was drinking it all. And Harry's was beating us in Jaeger sales because I was going over there on my off bats and drinking at Harry's and bu- busting out Jaeger's, man. And so like, it was horrible uh, for me just because like, I, I'm one of those guys, like I'm either going to do it or I'm not. And for alcohol, it's just one of those things. I can't just keep doing it because I just go, I go off the rails with it. I like to have fun, man. And I had fun for a long time. And now it's just, now I see that as just like you, everybody, when I see other people having fun, I'm like, those people didn't waste their time when they were, you're like five years ago. Like those people weren't doing that five years ago. Like you were doing it out of like literally out of control and uh, so like you don't do that anymore and it's not something that like i miss it's something that really keeps me grounded and and keeps me wholesome and now it's created and is transitioning into these abilities that i've never really thought i had like my athletic abilities better like my mental clarity is better uh i i don't know alcohol for me is has always been was useful and then one day I woke up and there was no longer a use for it. Um, other than like my friends having fun or like, you know, whatever. But man, I, 
why did I, I keep getting into these conversations where I like tell you a story because I'm trying to tell you a point, but I can't circle it all the way back. That's all right. Cause I think that was a really powerful story. Do you, I guess like what were like some of the biggest struggles you had while you were trying to just stay sober? Cause I know it's, I, the first thing I think of is well, you're traveling every weekend with your bands and you're going to concerts, you're going to shows. It's a party every weekend, every night. I mean, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like there's, you're going on tours with these bands and you're literally just supposed to party every night. But at some point you have to draw the line as business and pleasure and in the mix of all of that, you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out how you're going to stay sober. How does someone manage the two things like that? Cause I don't know that I personally would have the willpower to just, you know, like I know I it's Cinco de Mayo today. We're recording podcast going out next week. I'm going to go get a margarita after this, probably a couple. And like, you, you know, like everybody's got their own thing, but no, I, no, I think you should, I think you should have a margarita right now. Like, and I'm one of those people, like I will order the margaritas. Like, man, I, I respect the fact like people need like Dana White. He's someone that I look up to and yeah. man, like that dude drinks his ass off, but like he controls himself and like, like I will get out of control just because I'm such a person that feeds off other people's energy. And like, if it's hype, I'm hype. And if it's low, then I'll, and I'll get low and I've worked on that. And I feel like disconnecting from alcohol has really helped me take, like not ride that wave. Like I'm riding my wave and man, I, it's hard to stay on track, but it, if you can, right, if you can do it. And with weed, it helps me. Um, and that may be just like me telling myself that, but like, <laughs> I don't care. I got to have something in my hand, you know, like, and I, I'm a big fan. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I have, I have another addiction now, like, that, that stems from Dr. Pepper, like, Dr. Pepper Zero is now my number one. Like, I have to have a Dr. Pepper Zero every day. It is a new thing. And I, I'm literally, and I, I have a rubber band right here, right? I, have this, like, I, I don't know why I get addicted to things, but I just do, dude. And, like, that alcohol, man, like, I was addicted to that. And not just addicted to that, but, like, addicted to the attention that the alcohol brought on me because I would drink more than everyone. I was like, okay, here's a bottle. I'm going to down it, right? Like, I'm going to take as many shots i'm gonna do more shots than everybody oh you think you can out drink me i remember one night with kev specifically the first night he played at the tap we took a shot of like jameson we took a shot of tequila we took a shot of rumple we took a shot of jaeger then we got in the truck and we drove to northgate at two o'clock when it's closed being stupid and a car came up beside us and was like yelling shit because at 2 a.m like there's nothing good's gonna happen and yelling stuff well then they they turn off like right there before like pot bellies is now yeah um well we kept going straight and we turned right at the next one i guess we went behind like what is that like uh back by the churches back there behind northgate uh not the churches but like the bars right there what is that like the corner and then there's like a oh, couple yeah, of like yeah, dark yeah. side bars but there's like a little street right there so we took so we took the right well we get to like that intersection where the parking garage is over here mm -hmm. yeah. and then is it like low not logies is like kind of over there logies is over that direction but there's yeah. that intersection well that car rolls up to the intersection and my truck rolls up to the intersection cars goes like park in the middle of that bitch and i do because that's what he <laughs> said and so i parked in the middle and he gets out of the truck and he starts banging on this car and he's like good to out of the car 
and just yelling. I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I'm fucked up. I'm like, I was probably agging it on, honestly. I ain't going to act like I'm just like, this is <laughs> like, him up in the background. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, then behind the car is a cop car. No shit. And man, lights up, right? The lights turn on. Like, this isn't good. I'm like, go get in the truck. Get in the truck. He jumps in the truck. We run. We drive into the parking garage, right? Because I'm not going to run from the cops. And so we drive all the way up to the top floor of the parking garage, park on the top floor. And if you go to that parking garage, you can see, like, if you go to the stairs, there's like a little, like, gap between the bottom of the stairs and the top of the stairs, right? And so you can see down between the glass, like, really, you can see the reflection for some reason. And so we were looking down. We, like, ran to the stairs after we got out of the truck. And the cops are running up the stairs. We're like, oh, what the hell, dude? Like, what is going on? So me and Kevin, we dart to the other side because we're not going to get caught with the cops. And we run down the stairs and we hide in the bushes and we call Dre and he came and picked us up in the church van. <laughs> what about your truck? Did they not, like, run your plates or anything? I mean we weren't really doing anything wrong. Right. And like, they couldn't find us. And I mean, I get, they could have probably been dicks, but like they were walking up the stairs, like trying to find us. Like, I mean, you know, college station cops. I mean, they want to like work for them. Yeah, dude. Like, no, they, like, yeah. like sometimes they get put on bike duty and then they're really pissed off. And then it's like, man, yeah, yeah. ain't worth it. So yeah, I mean, they, they helped us, man. They, it, it was, a, uh, it, that was, what was I? What was I even telling that story for? Just like alcohol, that being a problem, like that is a perfect example of something that would not have happened if I wouldn't have been drinking. And I'm not saying that, that was a horrible thing that happened, but just now and like where I'm trying to transition my life is not where I want to be. Everything um, gets you to where you are. Like everything you did in your past yeah. brings you to yeah. who you're going to be in the future. So, well, and those like bad addictions like help fuel my good addictions, right? Because it's like I went so far with that lane that like now I can go so far with the other lane, man, and. And that, and that really has made me in and shaped me into a more well-rounded individual. You know, like right now, uh, I, I don't know how many books people read a year. I, I don't think that it's many, unfortunately. But, you know, man, like last year I read 30 books. Um, the year before I read 30, if not, you know, maybe a little less. But And the year before that, I just started reading. Um, like just really just grasping as many, you know, blowing through the books this year. The, the books combined with physical activity have really just stimulated my brain to where I still get off track because I obviously was out of control for so long. But when I dial in and when I'm able to clearly focus and get into that zone, I don't really, I, I at this point I'm starting to feel untouchable because I just keep proving myself every day. Like, you know, like this week I ran like my high, most miles that I had ever ran. Right. And, it wasn't a lot, but like it made me feel good. And like I was reading uh, David Goggins' new—it's um, not a new book, but an older book called "Can't Hurt Me," right? Yeah. And this dude, like, I'm—I've followed him for you know a year or two, and I hadn't read his books, but man, look, reading the book, like this dude ran a hundred miles in twenty-four hours. He did four thousand twenty-something push-ups in seventeen hours. Like this guy is like the ultimate, like. You told me I can't do it. I'm going to do it just to piss you off. Just going to do it to piss you off. And, man, like, there's something to be said for that. Like, I, And I said that earlier, I think, when we walked in. If you don't stand for something, uh, or if, if you can't stand for something, you don't. What, is, what did I say? 
If you're not stand, if you're not stand, if you don't stand for something, you'll stand for anything. Right? Isn't that the quote? Am I butchering that? Is it? If you can't stand for something, then you'll stand for any, or then you'll fall for anything. If you can't stand for something, then you'll fall for anything. Go with that. If you can't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I, and man, I that that rings true um, for me. And and David Goggins, man, like being a Navy SEAL, like just that level of inspiration and thinking like what was what was really on the line when he was like running and doing all those things like in his head what was important to him like where you know he had his wife and he had his mom like his dad beat him whenever he was younger like just all this fucked up shit happened to him dude all the time and man if he did not turn around and just say i don't care i don't care that all this bad stuff happens to me I don't care if you hurt me. Like you, he literally, the book, you literally can't hurt the man because he's not afraid to die. And man, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said with that motto. I feel like those guys, whenever I hear those guys speak, all those guys have like this big, like persona of Texas. Like they always like put Texas up, you know, Joe Rogan, I listen to him a lot too. And uh, man, it's really, it's, it feels a little macho, but man, if you meet those guys, like they're not macho. Like David Goggins is probably one of the more like feminine people you'll ever meet, right? Like he's not like this macho guy. Like he's very, seems like he's more chill, but it's about being able to conquer. You know, he talks about mastering his mind, right? Like running all those miles and doing that every day. You know, he's does, he runs about 10 miles every day. Like that's like his minimum. And man, Working up to that, I'm right now, I'm at like, you know, my phone, it goes in and out as far as like the tracking. I'm doing at least three to five miles a day. And it hurts, you know, since January, I've done, it's like 700 kilometers and not running them super fast, but also like pairing that with like exercise in the morning. So like, I'll get up. And the first thing I'll do, if I'm being real, is I'll smoke a blunt. Smoke a blunt, read a book. And that gets my mind turning. I'm in, like, a good spot. Go to the gym, exercise, and then I roll on to go run. And then once I get back from running, man, then it's like I conquer the next thing. The hardest thing, well, I try to, right? You say that. Um, you want to do that every day, but. Do the hardest thing first thing in the morning. Do, do the hardest thing yeah. first. By 6 a.m., you've gotten the hardest thing you have to do today out of the way. Exactly. And for me, like, getting into the gym, like, I will, I'd never wanted to be in the gym. My coaches were horrible to me. My Actually, my, like, big, like, my coach in high school, my sister, like, dated his brother for, like, 10 years. And then, like, they broke up whenever I got to high school. And so I'm not saying he had it out for me, but, like, I didn't like him. Definitely he didn't like good. me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like whatever I'm, and dude i that kind of fuels me today like always getting you know whether it was like sat down like put on the bench whenever i like felt like i was doing really good or like being told to wait or being like i don't know it's like all these things have kind of led up and you listen to david goggins like like all these people telling you that you can't do anything and you just keep on going i think it's crazy that you know i don't i don't necessarily like the term addiction but i think it's a good thing to be obsessive like, I think it's a good thing to be obsessed with something if you're obsessed with the right things. And running has been that for me. And I like I, I only say that because you brought it up. And I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about you. But running has, like, changed me, dude. Like, I have always been someone that 
has stayed in reasonable shape. I played sports in high school. I was no stud athlete by any stretch of the imagination. But I got into running in college because I liked to eat Chick-fil-A and pizza and go drink with my friends. Like, you know, that I liked to live the college experience, but I didn't want to just like blow up on myself. And I started running and then I slowly started getting into it more and more and more. And I remember like my senior year, I was like, I'm going to run a thousand miles this year, which was like a lot. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run a thousand miles. And I didn't even get close. I ran like 750 or something. And I was like, damn, like I really thought I was running a lot. Next year, I ran like 1,500 just because I was pissed off. And I think one of the biggest things you can do is, and not to go on some soapbox here, but you have to figure out a way to have a chip on your shoulder because everybody, and I'm stereotyping here, generalizing a little bit, but everybody for the most part that does something noteworthy or storyworthy here on the podcast did it because they were pissed off about something. They made a change or they created a product because they were pissed off that it wasn't there before, or they lost and ran, lost a bunch of weight and ran all these miles like David Goggins did because he was pissed off because someone told him he couldn't. He went to buds three times, like Navy SEAL basic, uh, basic underwater demolition seal strike. Like, you know, he did the whole, like he did the hard ass shit and he did it three times just because he kept failing and people told him he couldn't go back and he kept doing it. And so again, not to go back on the David Goggins stuff, but everybody needs to figure out. I guess you could call it your why, like some reason that pisses you off enough to take on something that you wouldn't otherwise. And, you know, I'm not out here running ultra marathons, but I run just like you. I run to stay in shape now, but I do it because it makes my day better. It's my favorite part of every day. Like when I wake up and I go for my run or I leave work and go for my run, it is by far the best part of my day because not only, I mean, I don't run fast. I'm out there and it clears my mind. It literally just resets for the rest of the day, whether that's the morning or the evening. So, well, I'll say when you did the Dallas Marathon, I don't know, that was what a few months ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you were kind of like, really, I will say you were picking up the steam on that Dallas Marathon, like kind of practicing whenever I was really like pushing myself to like stretch the miles. And like, I will say that you kind of inspired me to like, at least someone's doing it, right? Someone that yeah. I know, someone that's an actual person, someone that's not I'm re- not someone I'm not reading about. It's actually getting up and not being a lazy asshole, right? And that helped me like really push because there's pumps, right? Like people don't talk about that. And that's the part that people need to talk about is that when it gets hard, don't stop. Just keep going. Like, because there's gonna be people like Benny that come up that help you that like when you need that little bit of inspiration, they're there. So just keep going and those people will fall in line, right? Like those people will show up for you just like you showed up for them. And that back to why I started running, my buddy, Corey Kent, who now like back then, like, I don't, you know, nobody, only the cool people knew who he was, right? I got a story about Corey after you finish. Yeah, 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 cool. Well, good. And, and Corey was like the one guy, he was like, man, because I, you know, I was obviously, I was in a bad spot, man. Like I just wasn't happy. We were having all the success. Like I, all the money, like we were, everything was cool. Like for the first time in my life, like I had some stability and I was the most unhappiest I had ever been in my entire life. And Corey reached out of all the people and artists that I wasn't managing and was like, man, like take, just put your running shoes on. And, and, and this was before I read atomic habits, but he, and, and it made more sense after that, but he was like, just put your running shoes on, get up in the morning, put your running shoes on. Don't do anything. Just put them on. And man, like I started putting the running shoes on and I started doing a lap, right? Like one lap because I was past 300 pounds, right? I'm, I weighed today for the first time in three, four months. I'm 195. I did not mean to be 195. I want to be like 225. I just haven't weighed myself. So it's kind of a gut check there. But 
just putting on the running shoes made a difference. But putting, but to Corey telling me to just just try that one, just do that one thing, like that one time, just start, dude. And I don't know what it was. I just kept doing it, and like it was hard. It was real hard, and I just kept doing it. And now it's my life, and I it couldn't couldn't be happier, man. Like I. I because I disregarded my physical health for so long, right? Because I disregarded my physical health or mental health for so long because, you know, I made poor decisions because I was a shitty person. Like, because I, all those things happened, like, I'm so excited to wake up every day and be a good motherfucker. And that is a struggle that I, that I will have to deal with for the rest of my life. But like, I will get up and be that person because that's who I need me to be to my family needs me to be. And that's who the love of my life, wherever she is, will be, you know, and that's all I care about. It's inspiring. <laughs> I'm trying man. to get emotional, man. No, I think literally it takes someone that is so comfortable with themselves to be able to share something like that. And not only that, like to think about it and to be inspired, to read the books, to take that first step is one thing, but to follow through with it is a whole nother beast. To actually put on your shoes, go walk the one mile, but then to go from 300 to 195, not only that, to keep reading those books every year. Not You didn't read 30 books one year. You did it two years, and then you're doing it again this year. Like People don't realize that it's not just I'm going to do a sprint and figure out, like, I have something wrong in my life. I have a goal. I'm going to sprint. I'm going to get there, and it's all going to be good again. It's like it takes work, and you're going to do that first sprint, and you're going to you know, you're going to fail. And then you're going to try it again. You're going to do it again and again and again. And then finally, it's like the, you know, I'm not saying I'm sitting here on the top of some mountain, but it's like the successful little chart that you see, the little animation where it's like what people think success is. And it's like a straight line to the top of the mountain. And it's like what success really is. And it's like squiggle lines all around here at the bottom. You fail a hundred times. And then finally you get a little bit and you fall down again. And then like eventually somewhere along the line, like way down there, you make it to the top of the mountain. And there's a famous, I'm a huge quote guy for anybody that knows me. Um, there was a quote that I'll probably butcher because I haven't, like, I haven't read it in a while, but it was a Warren Buffett quote. And they asked him, man, it was like, what was more important, um, the destination or the journey? And he said, the company. Yeah. And it's like a big and a small panda. Or a, have you read that book? Have you read that book? Uh-uh. It's like a big, big panda, little dragon, or whatever. Uh, but that's the that's like one of the main quotes is that like it's it's the it's the company not the not the not the or say that again. I was it's they asked him which was better the destination or the journey and he said the company. So the company, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah, not necessarily where you're headed or what you're doing along the way, but who's there with you while you're doing it. And I think that was really like that spoke a lot. I. uh while we're on the quote subject, I'll steal the show here for a second. I, I heard two really good ones lately. Uh, one is like a military quote, and it helps someone like me because I'm someone that's like a million different things at one time. Like sometimes I talk fast. I like want to do things so quickly. And a lot of times that like shows through in my final product because, you know, whether it be forgetting to edit out something in the video or forgetting to fix a typo because I didn't proofread something uh, that I was posting on my website. You know, like there's small things where if I had just taken a little bit of extra time, I would have caught it. It was a, you know, stupid mistake. And the military term was uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And I've started trying to like put that in my everyday life. Just, just walk slower, like just type slower, just 
think a little bit slower. And eventually it's like, I'm not for a very basic example. Like when I'm getting ready and like rushing out the door, I stop rushing out the door. Like even if I'm like running slightly behind, I instead like take my time. I grab things and it's a weird example, but I'm not bumping into things on my way out. I'm not locking the door and going, Oh, I forgot my sunglasses. It's like, you know, like I'm remembering things. I'm it's smooth. And for that reason, it's fast, you know, like I'm, I'm not going through the motions multiple times. I'm doing it once and I'm not screwing it up. And for that reason, it saves less time in the long run. Um, and then I forgot the other quote I was going to mention, but that was one that really like kind of spoke to me. So no, man, quotes that's, I'm not a, I don't write them down as much as that I would like. Um, but there was, there was a, quote in the in that one thing book about the dominoes that basically like talked about like the geometric uh it's on my phone i feel like it doesn't even matter but yeah no I, quotes are quotes are great it's definitely like a helpful shortcut like if, if i'm like down or like if i'm not like operating at like optimal performance like i highlight a lot of things and underline a lot of things and we'll go back into these books that I like. And I was like, just pick a book up and just read a random page. And then like on my desk, like I have uh, a little piece of paper that says page 72 or 172. And I believe it's from the subtle art, not giving a fuck. Um, and I, somebody would have to go check that out. But um, I believe that it kind of speaks about like yin and yang, right? Like it's like, there's all, there's all these, it's a balance, right? It's about a balance and it's about staying in the middle. And that's the struggle that we, uh, that we deal with every day. Right. Like that's what we want to do is stay in our lane. I, uh, I'm going to tell this Corey Kent story and it might be kind of off. I grab my phone, but basically, so I like, obviously know who Corey is. He's a big time musician now. I mean, like he's like huge now or at least from my perspective, like he's doing great for himself. And there is a great friend of mine um, and his wife is now wife's little sister uh, is like an aspiring musician and she's young, but she's pretty good. She does shows around, you know, like their hometown and whatnot. Uh, but I remember she came up to me one time and was like, Hey, like I saw that, you know, Corey Kent, like, can we like, can you introduce us? And I was like, mm. it's like, I don't, I don't really know Corey. Can't, like, I don't, why do you say that? Like, I don't think I've ever met him. You know, he's a great, great musician. She's like, Oh, he follows you on Instagram. And I'm like, he follows me on Instagram. I was like, I don't think he follows me on Instagram. I was like, I was like I, he's got like a hundred thousand followers. I don't think he follows me. And sure enough, he follows me. I Maybe you and I were with him at some point. Like, I just don't remember. I don't know, but maybe I have met him and I don't remember, but hell, I need to have him on the podcast. Maybe he'll see my message if I shoot him a yeah, Instagram yeah. DM or something. Well, so coincidentally, my best friend, so I, one of my best friends manages him, um, or better friends in business. I, we, we're best friends. I think, I mean, he's gonna have to call me. I call him my best, one of my best friends. He's been there for me forever, but uh, his name's Chris Fox. They're at AAA management, um, great management company. Um, out of you know they do austin and nashville primarily george is the owner there um good people man they've always been great to me uh and it, always helpful um and so that you know i introduced Corey and chris together and you know as a manager who manages bands it's probably not like the smartest thing right like man, like introducing our artists <laughs> to another manager but like it's all about the homies man helping out everybody um and they hit it off and like i i could see from like the outside looking in that those two were going to like mesh well together yeah. because Corey asked a lot of questions 
and Chris has a lot of answers. And I knew that putting those two together would be a dangerous combination. And they have proved me right every step of the way. And uh, they have an, a hell of a team around them and uh, couldn't, couldn't be happier. I mean, he's got Wild as Her, right? That's a platinum single. Um, and then he's just released something, a song called Something's Gonna Kill Me. Uh, and man, like, that's just, you know, about if you've ever broken a hundred on two wheels, like, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's a good, good song. And he is working with a, a guy, uh, out of Nashville named Jay Joyce. Very, very, uh, prestigious, uh, that, that family, man, like since I met him, so I met him at the tap, right? He came and played, he was on a tour with Steve Mokler. Um, uh, and Steve Mokler probably, you probably most people here don't know who he is, but in Nashville, he is a prestigious songwriter and a, and a great guy. And, uh, you know, Corey came and played with him and they were sound checking. And I had my sound guy there at the tap and we were just chilling. And Corey was like EQ in his monitor. And man, there was just something about his, like him playing. I was like, this dude's different. And then he started like, we started sound checking and playing his guitar and we were EQing his, EQing from the front and dude he like told us he's like turn it a quarter turn and like we turned it like just a little bit and he's like oh too much and we're like what like this kid has like the ears I don't know what species of animal has like excellent hearing like bats right like who knows man like it's incredible sonically what he can hear that other people can't um and that was kind of my first indicator that Corey Kent was going to be a household name and that was probably eight years ago and I mean, he's grinded since then. He's been grinding since he was 15. This, there's no mistake or no uh, shenanigans there. That dude's been working for, for a long time. Well, he's got some great music out, and I think that we've talked about some amazing artists. I think tonight you've got the big show coming up at Billy Bob's. I'm excited for it. Dude, was there anything – I mean, we've been talking here just like – I scrapped the notes we had because there's no reason for it. No, I mean, not in a bad way. Like, I – have loved every bit of the conversation. I wish more of my interviews were like this. Um, need to start doing more in person because it's been great having you. But I don't want to stop you. Like, is there anything that you wished I would have asked you about that maybe I didn't give you the chance to speak on or any? Uh, I mean, feel free to shout somebody out or whatever you want to do. But I don't want to dissuade you from carrying on the conversation if there was something you wanted me to ask. Uh, man, I th you know, we talked about business. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that not to cut you off there, but why you think one thing that made me good in this conversation was I never knew. Um, I had always known you split up, but from Colby and Pecos and I never knew why I didn't know if it was like bad blood or what the deal was. So I'm happy to hear that. Like it was like a, it wasn't a bad uh, breakup. It's not the right word, but like, yeah, I mean, like I would say that oh, we can go back in the, I, I wouldn't say that uh, there's any bad blood on my side. Um, cause there was some concessions made on my end that nobody would ever make. Um, and so business wise, um, so there's, you know, there can't be really any bad blood, like realistically, but I mean like Colby and I, we don't really talk, uh, which sucks. Um, but you know, he's doing his thing that it's like when you're in this and I think these guys all understand this and that's why we're all kind of like men about it. Right you get tunnel vision and like Colby and them, they have a job to do. And just because I left, like I, I taught them that, right? Like I, I, I showed them how to focus in and not worry about anything externally. And that's what they're doing. They're doing what they were taught to do. 
and and Pecus, you know, he he was kind of a maverick himself, and so he kind of just saw what I was doing, and he could implement that in his own way. And uh, I mean, now, like I saw Pecus at Red, like Red Door, you know, not too long ago in Nashville. Like me and him were cool. Like I mean, he said what's up to me. I said what's up to him. We hung out, gave a hug. Like I told him I loved him. Like we're cool. But you know as far as Colby goes, I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. I left him hanging, dude. Like I, I really did. I left him hanging. He signed a ma major label deal and, uh, you know, Peggy's had a lot of things going on. Uh, I, I, I left them hanging, but I left them hanging for me, you know, and anybody can be mad about that. But now I'm getting to help two artists that actually need my help, that actually want my help, that work hard and understand what we're trying to do. Um, on a larger scale and Colby and them are big, like they're doing well. Um, but I plan to do well as well. So, uh, we'll see. Well, I'm happy to hear that. And, uh, wishing all the dudes we talked about nothing but success, man. I, uh, I like the new mantra that you've got going with how you're, you're here for you. You've got a vision, you're doing everything you can to succeed and you're not just saying it, but you're actually executing. That's one thing that I've been big on here recently is like, I want to not only say I'm going to do something, but I want to execute on it. And again, not to go on my own tangent, but you know, there's, if anybody knows me, I've started a thousand different side hustles and gone through with all of two of them or three of them, like legitimately. And, um, you know, this podcast has been growing really rapidly over the past, like three months. So thank you to everybody here in 2023. It's been a big one. Um, and I like have no expectation to slow now. Like I saw that little glimpse of like, Oh, shit, like a spike in like listeners and like followers. And it's like, all right, like I can do this now. And so I'm trying to not get bored with it. I'm trying to keep it up and execute is the word I'm like kind of running with when I think of things like this. So it's nice to hear. It's refreshing to hear that people are out there chasing it. They're, uh, they're getting after it. They're go getters. And at the end of the day, we're all just some boys trying to get it. That's <laughs> right, man. That's right. That's the, that's the life. I appreciate you having me, Vinny. Like, looking to you and looking at to others like this i'm so glad that i got to be a guest because i feel like i've always been the guy that's watching this stuff because i've always needed all the help and so i appreciate the fact that you are going out and doing something that's going to change people's lives so keep doing it man and i appreciate all the running put your running shit on instagram like <laughs> let's just start the movement of everybody it's not bragging it's just like i'm running and you're not and anybody who gets pissed off about that's just not running put your running shoes on it's been good man i appreciate you being on dude all right thanks for listening everyone jared tell everybody where if they want to get in touch with you or if they want to follow you on social media or if they just want to like find out more about your artist where should you uh where would you point them yeah, yeah, man. So uh, I'm pretty dark on social media. I pretty much deleted all of my social media accounts. Um, I am on Instagram, but there's no posts on that. Um, so don't look at me. Look at Cameron Zaki. Look at Carson Jeffrey. Like, look at those guys. Um, and as far as my company, um, we'll, we'll, we'll have a name and we'll have people talking about it eventually. It just we got some more work to do before we get there.
All right. Well, I'll tag the uh, social media or the websites for Cameron Sackey Band and uh, Carson Jeffrey in the show notes or in the description for this so you guys can check them out. Uh, but thanks again for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about Jared and I's conversation, go take a look at the feature story of Jared on our host websites, VinnieHale.com. And don't forget to follow our host on Instagram at Vinny underscore Hale zero seven. Let's go. Yeah. I'm like an addict, do I gotta have it? I ain't even playing, got a really bad habit. If it moves, gotta grab it. Fuse like a magnet, lose won't have it till I'm doomed in a cat. No man, I I I always see that with everybody. I mean, right now the guys you see that are the most successful um are the guys that are that are showing up and doing things in person. Cause I feel like in a world where people aren't doing things in person, um, the people that are will probably be rewarded for that, right? So that that's my prerogative. I don't know if that's that that it actually happens, but um, for me, uh, there's something about just being in the room with someone, or connecting with someone, or listening to someone, and I mean, just hanging out. Like, just the, I mean, being here today, like this is a beautiful place that I would have known nothing about if I wouldn't have came. And uh, I think that's a decision that both the viewer or the in, or the interviewer and the interviewee have to make, but. Um, yeah, no, they should certainly come out because this is a this is a great this is a great spot. I appreciate it. Welcome to my studio. I was showing Jared around the in person place. We basically got a boardroom or a conference room. I don't know what to call it, but a conference room where you can rent it out for I don't know a couple hours at a time. And I come in here and basically just like revamp the place and set it up. I've got DSLR camera. I've got webcam lights. We've got the two laptop setup we've got his monitor or his mic arm we've got my mic stand it's a makeshift setup but it works nonetheless 